Part One, Chapter Seven C, of the Adventures of Jimmy Dale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Adventures of Jimmy Dale by Frank L. Packard, reading by Lars Rolander. Part One, The Man in the Case, Chapter Seven C. The thief concluded. On his hands and knees, protected from the possibility of another bullet by the height of the sill, Jimmy Dale, quick in every movement, now dragged the inert form toward the table, away from the window, and bent hurriedly over the other. A minute, perhaps, he stayed there, and then rose slowly. Burton, horror-stricken, unmanned beside himself was hanging clutching with both hands at the table edge he's dead said jimmie dale laconically burton flung out his hands dead he whispered hoarsely i, I think i'm going mad three days of hell and now this we'd we'd better get out of here quick they'll get us if jimmie dale's hand fell with a tight grip on burton's shoulder there won't be any more shots fired pull yourself together burton stared at him in a demented way what's what's it mean he stammered it means that i didn't put two and two together said jimmie dale a little bitterly it means that there's a dozen crooks been dancing old isaac's tune for a long time and that some of them have got him at last burton reached out suddenly and clutched Jimmie Dale's arm. Then I'm safe, he mumbled the words, but there was a dawning hope, relief in his white face. Safe, I'm safe. If you'll only give me back those stones, give them back to me. For God's sake, give them back to me. You don't know, you don't understand. I stole them because, because he made me, because I, it was the only chance I had. Oh, my God, you don't know what the last three days have been. Give them back to me, won't you? Won't you? You you don't know. Don't lose your nerve, said Jimmie Dale sharply. Sit down. He pushed the other into the chair. There's no one will disturb us here for some time, at least. What is it that I don't know? At three nights ago you were in a gambling hell, Sagostos to be exact, one of the most disreputable in New York and you went there on the invitation of a stray acquaintance, a mine named Pearlie. Shall I describe him for you? A short, slim-built man, black eyes, red hair, beard, and— You know that? The misery, the hopelessness was back in Burton's face again, and suddenly he bent over the table and buried his head in his outflung arms. There was silence for a moment. Tight-lipped Jimmie Dale's eyes travelled from Burton's shaking shoulders to the motionless form on the floor. Then he spoke again. "'You're a bit of a rounder, Burton, but I think you've had a lesson that will last you all your life. You were half drunk when you and Pearlie began to hobnob over a downtown bar. He said he'd show you some real life, and you went with him to Sagostos.' He gave you a revolver before you went in and told you the place wasn't safe for an unarmed man. He introduced you to Sagosto, the proprietor, and you were shown to a back room. 
You drank quite a little there. You and Perky were alone, throwing dice. You got into a quarrel. Pearlie tried to draw his revolver. You were quicker. You drew the one he had given you and fired. He fell to the floor. You saw the blood gush from his breast just above the heart. He was dead. In a panic you rushed from the place and out into the street. I don't think you went home that night. Burton raised his head, showing his haggard face. I guess it's no use, he said dully. If you know, others must. I thought only Isaac and Sir Goston knew. Why haven't I been arrested? I wish to God I had. I wouldn't have had today to answer for. I'm not through yet, said Jimmy Dale gravely. The next day old Isaac here sent for you. He said Sagosta told him of the murder, and had offered to dispose of the corpse and keep his mouth shut for fifty thousand dollars, that no one in his place knew of it except himself. Isaac, for his share, wanted considerably more. You told him you had no such sums, that you had no money. He told you how you could get it. You had access to Madden's safe. You were Madden's confidential secretary, fully in your employer's trust the last man on earth to be suspected, and there were Madden's famous priceless rubies. Jimmy Dale paused. Burton made no answer. And so, said Jimmy Dale presently, to save yourself from the death penalty, you took them. Yes, said Burton, scarcely above his breath. Are you an officer? If you are, take me. Have done with it. Only for heaven's sake end it, if you're not. Jimmy Dale was not listening. The cupboard at the rear of the room, she had said. He walked across to it now, opened it, and after a little search found a small bundle. He returned with it in his hand, and, kneeling beside the dead man on the floor, his back to Burton, untied it, took out a red wig and beard, and slipped them on to old Isaac's head and face. "'I wonder,' he said grimly as he stood up, "'if you ever saw this man before.' "'My God! Pearlie!' With a wild cry, Burton was on his feet, straining forward like a man crazed. "'Yes,' said Jimmy Dale. "'Pearlie. Sort of an ironic justice in his end, as far as you are concerned, isn't there?' I think we'll leave him like that, as pearly. It will provide the police with an interesting little problem, which they will never solve. And steady! Burton was rocking on his feet. The tears were streaming down his face. He lurched heavily, and Jimmy Dale caught him and pushed him back into the chair again. I thought, I thought there was blood on my hands, said Burton brokenly. That that I had taken a man's life. It was horrible, horrible. I've lived through three days that I thought would drive me mad, while I, I tried to do my work, and, and talk to people, just as if nothing had happened. And everyone that spoke to me seemed so carefree and happy, and I would have sold my soul to have changed places with them. He stared at the form on the floor, and shivered suddenly. It, it was like that I saw him last, he whispered. But, but I do not understand. Jimmy Dale smiled a little wearily. 
It was simple enough, he said. Old Isaac had had his eyes on those rubies for a long time. The easiest way of getting them was through you. The revolver he gave you before you entered Sagostas was loaded with blank cartridges. The blood you saw was the old, old trick, a punctured bladder of red pigment concealed under the west. Let us get out of here, Burton shuddered again. Let us get out of here at once. Now, if we are found here, we'll be accused of that. There is no hurry, Jimmie Dale answered quietly. I've told you that no one is liable to come here tonight, and whoever did this certainly will not raise an alarm. And besides, there is still the matters of the rubies, Burton. Yes, said Burton, with a quick intake of his breath. Yes, the rubies. What are you going to do with them? I, I had forgotten them. You'll... He stopped, stared at Jimmie Dale, and burst into a miserable laugh. I'm a fool, a blind fool, he moaned. It does not matter what you do with them. I forgot Sagosto. When they find Isaac here, Sagosto will either tell his story, which will be enough to convict me of this night's work, the real murder, even though I'm innocent or else he'll blackmail me, just as Isaac did. Jimmy Dale shook his head. You are doing Isaac's cunning and injustice, he said grimly. Sagosto was only a tool, one of many that old Isaac had in his power, and for that matter, as likely as anyone else to have had a hand in Isaac's murder tonight. Sagosto saw you once when Isaac brought you into his place, not because Isaac wanted Sagosto to see you, but because he wanted you to see Sagosto. Do you understand? It would make the story that Sagosto came to him with the tale of the murder the next day ring true. Sagosto, however, did not go to old Isaac the next day to tell about any fake murder, naturally. Sagosto would not know you again from Adam. Neither does he know anything about the rubies, nor what old Isaac's ulterior motives were. He was paid for his share in the game in old Isaac's usual manner of payment, probably, by a threat of exposure for some old-time offence that Isaac held over him, if he didn't keep his mouth shut. Burton's hand brushed his eyes. Yes, he muttered. Yes, I see it now. Jimmy Dale stooped down, picked up the paper from the floor in which the wig and beard had been wrapped, walked back with it, and replaced it in the cupboard. And then, with his back to Burton again, he took the case of gems from his pocket, opened it, and laid it on the cupboard shelf. Also from his pocket came that thin metal case, and from the case, with a pair of tweezers that obviated the possibility of telltale fingerprints, a grey diamond-shaped piece of paper, adhesive on one side that, cursed by the distracted authorities in every police headquarters on both sides of the Atlantic and raved by a virulent press, whose printed reproductions had made it familiar in every household in the land, was the insignia of the grey seal. He moistened the adhesive side, dropped it from the tweezers to his handkerchief, and pressed it down firmly on the inside of the cover of the jewel case. He put both cases back in his pockets, and returned to Burton. Burton! he said a little sharply. While I was outside that doorway, there, I heard you beg old Isaac to let you keep the rubies, and three times already you have asked the same of me. What would you do with them if I gave them back to you? Burton did not reply for a moment. 
he was gazing at the masked face in a half-eager, half-doubtful way. "'You—you you mean you will give them back?' he burst out finally. "'Answer my question,' prompted Jimmy Dale. "'Do with them?' Burton repeated slowly. "'Why, I've told you. They'd go back to Mr. Maddon. I'd take them back.' "'Would you?' Jimmy Dale's voice was quizzical. A puzzled expression came to Burton's face. "'I don't know what you mean by that,' he said. "'Of course I would.' "'How?' asked Jimmy Dale. "'Do you know the combination of Mr. Madden's safe?' "'No,' said Burton. "'And the safe would be locked, wouldn't it?' "'Yes.' "'Quite so,' said Jimmy Dale musingly. "'Then, granted that Mr. Madden has not already discovered the theft, how would you replace the stones before he does discover it?' And if he already knows that they are gone, how would you get them back into his hands? Yes, I know, Burton answered a little listlessly. I've thought of that. There's only one way, to take them back to him myself and make a clean breast of it, and— He hesitated. And tell him you stole them, supplied Jimmy Dale. Burton nodded his head. Yes, he said. "'And then?' prodded Jimmy Dale. "'What will Maddon do? "'From what I've heard of him, he's not a man to trifle with, "'nor a man to take an overly complacent view of things, "'not the man whose philosophy is all's well that ends well. "'What does it matter?' Burton's voice was low. "'It isn't that so much. "'I'm ready for that. "'It's the fact that he trusted me implicitly, and I—' Well, I played the fool, or I'd never have got into a mess like this. For an instant Jimmy Dale looked at the other searchingly, and then, smiling strangely, he shook his head. There's a better way than that, Burton, he said quietly. I think, as I said before, you've had a lesson tonight that will last you all your life. I'm going to give you another chance with Madon. Here are the stones— he reached into his pocket and laid the case on the table. But now Burton made no effort to take the case. His eyes, in that puzzled way again, were on Jimmy Dale. "'A better way?' he repeated tensely. "'What do you mean? What way?' "'We'll say, at the expense of another man's reputation, of mine,' suggested Jimmy Dale, with his whimsical smile. You need only say that a man came to you this evening, told you that he stole these rubies from Mr. Madden during the afternoon, and asked you, as Mr. Madden's private secretary, to restore them with his compliments to their owner. A slow flush of disappointment, deepening to one of anger, dyed Burton's cheeks. "'Are you trying to make a fool of me?' he cried out. "'Go to Madden with a childish tale like that?' There's no man living would believe such a cock-and-bull story. No, inquired Jimmy Dale softly. And yet I'm inclined to think there are a good many that even Madden would hard-headed as he is. You might say that when the man handed you the case, you thought it was some practical joke being foisted on you, until you opened the case. Jimmy Dale pushed it a little farther across the table, and Burton, mechanically, his eyes still on Jimmy Dale, 
loosened the catch with his thumbnail, until you opened the case, saw the rubies, and— The Grey Seal! Burton had snatched the case towards him, and was straining his eyes at the inside cover. You! The Grey Seal! Well? said Jimmy Dale whimsically. Motionless, the case held open his hands. Burton stood there. The Grey Seal! he whispered. Then, with a catch in his voice, You mean this? You mean to let me have these back? You mean... You mean all you've said? For God's sake, don't play with me. The Grey Seal, the most notorious criminal in the country. To give back a fortune like this? You, you... Dog with a bad name, said Jimmy Dale with a wry smile. Then, a little gruffly, put it in your pocket. Slowly, almost as though he expected the case to be snatched back from him the next instant, Burton obeyed. I don't understand. I can't understand, he murmured. They say that you... And yet I believe you now. You've saved me from a ruined life tonight. The Grey Seal. If... if everyone knew what you had done, they... But everyone won't, Jimmy Dale broke in bluntly. Who is to tell them? You. You couldn't very well when you come to think of it, could you? Well, who knows, perhaps there have been others like you. You mean, said Burton excitedly, you mean that all these crimes of yours that have seemed without motive, that have been so inexplicable, have really been like tonight, too? I don't mean anything at all, interposed Jimmy Dale a little hurriedly. Nothing, Burton except that there is still one little thing more to do to bolster up that childish story of mine, and then get out of here. He glanced sharply, critically, around the room, his eyes resting for a moment at the last on the form on the floor. Then, tersely, I am going to turn out the light. We will have to pass the window to get to the door, and we will invite no chances. Are you ready? "'No, not yet,' said Burton eagerly. "'I haven't said what I'd like to say to you, what I—' "'Walk straight to the door,' said Jimmy Dale curtly. There was the click of an electric light switch, and the room was in darkness. "'Now, no noise,' he instructed. And Burton, perforce, made his way across the room. And at the door Jimmy Dale joined him, and led him down the short flight of stairs. At the bottom he opened the door leading into the rear of the pawn-shop itself, and, bidding Burton follow, entered. "'We can't risk even a match. It could be seen from the street,' he said brusquely, as he fumbled around for a moment in the darkness. "'Ah, here it is.' He lifted a telephone receiver from his hook and gave a number. Burton caught him quickly by the arm. "'Good Lord, man, what are you doing?' he protested anxiously. "'That's Mr. Madden's house.' "'So I believe,' said Jimmy Dale complacently. "'Hello. Is Mr. Madden there?' "'I beg pardon?' "'Personally, yes, if you please.' There was a moment's wait. Burton's hand was still nervously clutching at Jimmy Dale's sleeve. Then— "'Mr. Madden?' asked Jimmy Dale pleasantly. "'Yes. I'm very sorry to trouble you.' 
but i called you up to inquire if you were aware that your rubies and among them your aracon had been stolen i beg pardon rubies yes you weren't oh no i'm quite in my right mind if you will take the trouble to open your safe you will find they are gone shall i hold the line while you investigate what don't shout please and stand a little farther away from the mouthpiece jimmie dale's tone was one of insolent composure now there is really no use in getting excited i beg pardon certainly this is the gray seal speaking what jimmie dale's voice grew plaintive i really can't make out a word when you yell like that yes i had occasion to use them this afternoon and i took the liberty of borrowing them temporarily are you still there mr madam oh quite so yes i hear you now no that is all only i am returning them through your private secretary a very estimable young man though i fear somewhat excitable and shaky who is on his way to you with them now what's that you say you repeat that snapped jimmie dale suddenly icily and i'll take them from under your nose again before morning ah that is better good night mr madden jimmie dale hung up the receiver and shooed burton toward the door now then burton we'll get out of here and the sooner you reach fifth avenue and mr madden's house the better no not that way they had reached the hall and burton had turned toward the side door that opened on the alleyway whoever they were who settled their last account with isaac may still be watching they've nothing against anyone else but they know someone was in here at the time and if the police are clever enough ever to get on their track they might find it very convenient to be able to say who was in the room when isaac was murdered there is nothing to show since isaac so obligingly opened the window for them that the shot was fired through the window and not from the inside of the room and even if they have already taken to their heels jimmie dale was leading burton up the stairs again as he talked it might prove exceedingly inconvenient for us if some passer-by should happen to recollect that he saw two men of our general appearance leaving the premises now keep close and follow me they passed the door of isaac's den turned down a narrow corridor that led to the rear of the house jimmie dale guiding unerringly working from the mental map of the house that the tocsin had drawn for him descended another short flight of stairs that gave on to the kitchen crossed the kitchen and jimmie dale opened a back door he paused here for a moment to listen then cautioning burton to be silent moved on again across a small backyard and through a gate into a lane that ran at right angles to the alleyway by which both had entered the house and a minute later they were crouched against a building a half block away where the lane intersected the cross street here jimmie dale peered out cautiously there was no one in sight he touched burton's shoulder and pointed down the street that's your way burton mine's the other hurry while you've got the chance good night burton's hand reached out caught jimmie dale's and wrung it god bless you he said huskily i 
and Jimmie Dale pushed him out onto the street. Burton's steps receded down the sidewalk. Jimmie Dale still crouched against the wall. The steps grew fainter in the distance and died finally away. Jimmie Dale straightened up, slipped the mask from his face to his pocket, stepped out on the street, and five minutes later was passing through the noisy bedlam of the Hungarian restaurant on his way to the front door and his car. Sonnet le toxin, Jimmy Dale was saying softly to himself. I wonder what she'll do when she finds I've got the ring. End of part one, chapter seven C, The Thief, The Conclusion From the Adventures of Jimmy Dale by Frank L. Packard Read by Lars Rolander